Today on Saints Alive, I am joined by Dr. Byron Hodge, and this is very impromptu, but we're going to have fun with this conversation today. I was thinking earlier today about um, some of our folks that are retired and what they had are doing in the retirement. And Byron, you came to mind because I was thinking about ways that you have been very active in your retirement that God's been using you in a variety of ways. And I just thought that would be an enlightening conversation for our listeners. So for those that don't know, just tell us a little bit about what you had been doing career-wise, like five years ago, <clears throat> where was your life? What were you doing? Uh, complete chaos, uh, 24-7. My career, uh, started in 1977 as a surgical resident at Duke University, and I developed a specialty called urologic oncology, which is the uh, surgical treatment of cancers of the urinary tract and genital tract. So what does that mean? Prostate cancer, kidney cancer, uh, bladder cancer, testicular cancer, and other related areas. So it was a lot of uh, surgery, uh, very big, complex surgery for very bad malignant diseases. Uh, had a lot of sick people I operated on. I also was in charge of research on these and also giving chemotherapy and immunotherapy to them. So it was a very busy, high-stress uh, practice that really had no boundaries. Uh, so you, you work know, seven pe- days a week? Seven days a week. I can't tell you how many times on Easter I'd walk in the doors of the cathedral in Orlando and the beeper would go off and that's the only that's as far as I got to church that day. So it was really a, a, a career of personal sacrifice for others. I have no uh, regrets. Would I do it again? Not the way the government's running medicine, but as far as taking care of people, it was a very satisfying career. I was very proud of it. I helped a lot of people and really have no regrets about it. The way it ended, though, was I was the victim. Mm. Uh, I got up one morning and uh, had a little indigestion, thought I'd eaten one rib too many the night before. make a long story short, I ended up with a five-vessel bypass and a mild heart attack. And my cardiologist said, what you do is too stressful. You can never go back to work again doing surgery. And... Uh, that's not the way I wanted to retire, but you know, I always look at things God leads me in ways He wants me to go. And uh, the night before the surgery, in, in my prayers, I said, "I'm yours. Do with me what you will." So I accepted it pretty easily. Most people thought, "Oh, you'd be depressed and you you, you couldn't stand it." Well, I had a friend who retired, and three weeks later, he opened another office. He couldn't stand it, but. That was never something I wanted to do. It did take about six months to get over the surgery physically. So, uh, <clears throat> And how, how many years ago was this, Byron? Three years and a week. Okay. May the 30th, 2019. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's nice to have that milestone. Mm-hmm. So everybody says, okay, well, you're retired. So what do retired people do? Well, they sleep late and they walk a dog. I don't have a dog. <clears throat> play. You have cats. <laughs> <laughs> Got cats. Um, play golf, which I wasn't doing at the time. And, uh, you know, you're supposed to have all this free time and it's kind of like you wonder what you're going to do. Well, that never happened. So what did I do? Well, obviously, um, 
I continued some of my, you know, teaching duties here at All Saints, and that was good. And and people don't realize what that entails, but when I teach a uh, parish academy for that hour and a half class, I spend about 20 hours per class putting that together. So that's a pretty good time commitment. And it's usually 12 to 13 weeks of classes. Exactly. So that's one thing that keeps me busy. Um, I decided there's lots of things I want to learn how to do that I hadn't had time, and I made that list and started doing them. I uh, also made myself a promise I was not going to do something I did not want to do. So you think, oh, you know, you've got time. You can be on this board, that board. <clears throat> nope. Boards are for younger people. Uh, so I pretty much stayed true to that. And uh, so what have I done for fun? Well, it's all been fun and work, but let's go back to my practice. After about six months, I um, realized I was not going to go back to work. And uh, then people that have been patients of mine for 20 years, they continue to call me. I'm one of those physicians that gave almost all my patients my cell phone number because if they needed help, that's part of my job. So they keep calling, and I've had four calls today, and that's been three years. So uh, so people wanting advice, wanting help, wanting direction, wanting a referral, wanting a second opinion. Uh, some people want a prescription call in, which I obviously don't do anymore. So I got very frustrated with it. And, and this said, is seven days a week you're getting these oh, calls. all the time. There, there, was, there was no into it, and, and, and I, it was, I was getting very frustrated with it. And almost angry. I, no, I was angry about it. My wife and I had discussions about it. You know, the family members are calling all the time wanting stuff, and that was bad enough. But then when everybody else is, and I finally said, you know, I'm working almost as hard as I was before except for the surgery. The only difference is I'm not getting paid for this. And, you know, I'm taking on some responsibility. And then one nice uh, person gave me a bottle of whiskey, and I thought that was a nice gift. <laughs> but, again, you're doing this for nothing. All of a sudden, realize, well, what am I doing this for? And then I had to sit down and had a, a come-to-Jesus talk with myself and realize I could no longer heal with the surgical skills that I was given. But I still had enough smarts in my head to help people, direct people, Many times get people back on the right path so they wouldn't uh, take bad advice and go down the wrong path. And I'll quickly realize this is a ministry. It's a ministry to to people. My whole ministry and surgery was to the glory of God, so why wouldn't this be? So anytime I could help somebody, and I will say they were, everyone was very grateful for what I've done, it was a glory to God is part of my ministry in the kingdom of God. That was one of my jobs in the kingdom of God is to continue to help people in the way I can. Now, someday people will figure out I'm too old. I'm too out of touch. I won't, I don't know like what I used to, and they'll stop calling me. But that's not going to happen anytime soon, I don't think. I don't think so. <laughs> so and so, Byron, I will compliment yeah. you, because, and you might know this already about yourself, but the way that you communicate the knowledge and the wisdom that you have, it really does give a lot of solace to people mm-hmm. to say, you know, Byron said this, and, and I'm, that just sounded so true. It just resonated with people that oh. they, they, they really trust that. So, so thank you for that gift. Well, you're quite welcome. When I was teaching residents, I said, what did I tell them? I said, if you're going to be a successful doctor, you got to be able to care. Well, they said, well, how do you learn how to care for somebody? I said, it's kind of like being a cross between a country music singer and a Baptist preacher. you got to reach into their heart, 
take it out, fix it, and put it back in. <laughs> That's great. So if you can develop that type of an attitude about people, then you know you you learn how to care. It's just it's just part of what I do in the kingdom of God. And, and yeah, like any human, I get a little frustrated every now and then. Uh, four crises today that I didn't count on, but uh, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And those people will be better, I hope, once I've had a chance to sort things out for them. Now, you've not only had those types of calls, but I know you've had another project that you've done in your retirement. Well, where, yes. Tell us about that and where is it? And it's Well, I've got completion. a couple of things. Right now, <clears throat> I got hired as uh, director of clinical development for a uh, medical device company in Orlando called Blue Halo Biomedical. And this company's developed a, uh, a very unique product is going to help men who cannot urinate because of prostate issues be able to urinate normally with good control. So what I've done with this, I've been involved in the clinical trials development, and I now spend my time uh, having interactions with the U.S. Patent Office and most uh, recently the FDA. And there's a whole other set of frustration dealing with government agencies, but it's not as stressful as what I used to do. So I'm learning a lot with this, and uh, we're very hopeful this will you know, come to fruition in the next 6 to 12 months. It'll be a real major major um, move for, for, for men's health, and, uh, and it will leave a legacy uh, for the people that put this together that did something really good. And I'm just glad to be part of it. But it's it's interesting, but again, it's not nearly as demanding or high risk as what I used to do. So I can handle it pretty well. Okay. Did you have one other thing that you were thinking Well, the of? other thing is a fun thing I do. Okay. Now, most people don't know this. Well, if you were a patient of mine, you would. One of my passions has been African travel and dangerous game hunting. And you say, well, that doesn't sound right. Somebody who, who's whole uh, career is healing, why would you go on a hunting trip? Well, I'm not going to sit here and use this as a forum for that, but I will say that when we go hunting, first of all, it's ethical, it's controlled, it's licensed, and it's scientifically based. I'm going to leave it at that. But what's most importantly is obviously we collect a lot of meat. And if you've not been to rural Africa, you'll understand there are no grocery stores. So how do people get meat? Well, one way they get it is they poach the animals. They put snares out and traps, and these animals mm. have a horrible death, and they get a little bit of meat from them, and uh, it waste. it's a terrible waste of wildlife. So when we're hunting, we collect, if you say I, I hunt a Cape buffalo, that's a 2,000-pound animal. We can get easily 1,000 pounds of meat off of it. Wow. We might need 100 pounds for our camp. We find the local villages, and we give this meat away. And we feed a lot of hungry people, and the meat's all good. doesn't really matter what it is. But they will eat it, and it's, we eat it, and it's good. So feeding hungry people is one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. Just one story, I remember being up in Zambia and being charged by a rogue hippopotamus out of the river at 7 in the morning and had to dispatch it. So what do we do with this hippopotamus? Well, well let's butcher it up and let's go to this village. We took this meat into this village, and these people are eating a bowl of what you would say was bad grits, one bowl a day. That's their food. Wow. Um, uh, mealy meal is just carbohydrate. When we handed this meat, I had people touching me and grabbing my leg 
and hugging me, and I was crying by the time I left. There's nothing like feeding hungry people. Mm-hmm. So that's been part of this whole uh, evolution. And in my retirement, I affiliated with a company called Game Trackers Africa, and I run the U.S. side of their business. So I'm highly involved in, in people going on safaris in addition to myself. But there's something we've always done. Now, my wife, she's not big on the hunting, but she understands the value. But we like to go on photographic safaris. So to keep her happy, about every other year, I'm taking her and some friends on a photographic trip. So we don't just ride around in a Jeep and take pictures of beautiful animals. We do that. But we always have made a point of making some value out of the trip. And it's amazing what people throw away here and it's amazing what people don't have there i'm talking about just the children alone yeah we feed them but i've seen 12 kids play a soccer match on a deflated soccer ball and have the best time in the world so we bring uh bags and bags of clothes uh toys that are uh usable uh pumps for and balls and games and school supplies and everything we can fit into a suitcase and if people are flying and we encourage them to pack an extra suitcase and a lot of times I can convince the uh, local airlines just to put it on the plane that's going to a school and the Safari Club International has something called a blue bag program where they promote this and I've had several of these and so we will not only go and enjoy the game viewing and the ambiance of God's back, being God's backyard we actually go visit schools and villages and and meet these people and play with these kids and take them things. And many of the schools are repeat schools, and you think you're, in the, you know, you have no idea what I'm going to tell you. I'm in the middle of nowhere Zimbabwe. It's two and a half hour drive through rough country to this school that I'm going to go visit. I've never been there. We get there. The school's got 300 kids. They're all in uniform. The headmaster's wearing a coat and tie, and the uh, lady teachers are all in long dresses. They are immaculately clean. I get to visit the classroom. The children are disciplined. They're learning to speak three languages. They're learning the basics. They're learning how to be a good citizen. They're learning uh, all sorts of stuff. Now, you go to a classroom here in the U.S. as a sign that says, say no to drugs. You know what's in their classroom? I don't. Know the signs of bubonic plague. Wow. They're worried about plague. They're not worried about drugs. Wow. So anyway, we take, you know, everything we can possibly take. And we've gone to orphanages in Uganda, these schools in Zimbabwe and Botswana. And we seem like we have an awful lot when we go there, but it's so little compared to what their needs are. But it's completely appreciated. And it all goes to good use. This stuff is not resold to somebody else. This... This goes there. I was there uh, at a school last year, and because of COVID, we couldn't visit the school. But the teachers came out and met us in an open area, and we brought them all this stuff. And uh, so that's that's just the value added uh, of doing that. And then also being a physician, I take as much medicine as I can. I, I obviously wouldn't do surgery, but I hold health clinics and you know, take care of people as best as I can, mm. considering some of the diseases they have. So mm. there's an awful lot of uh, 
promoting the kingdom of God while you're on vacation. Amen. And it wouldn't be the same if all we do is ride around in a Jeep and have a nice dinner and a glass of wine at the end of the day. You come home pretty unfulfilled. Mm -hmm. But when I take people, they always say this. I knew I was going to go see beautiful animals, but I had no idea how beautiful the people are and the relationships and the people they met. So that's an ongoing thing. And uh, we're going to... uh, Rwanda in October, taking some people on a gorilla trek, and we'll do the same thing, take blue bags to the villages. I'll find it from my contacts what they need. We'll organize it. And then hopefully, God willing, we'll do another couple of these in the next year or two. Well, Byron, thank you for your inspiration with that. Um, I know that I've been recently sharing with some folks in a parish academy class about being a tourist versus being a pilgrim. And so you've been giving us an example of being a pilgrim, journeying with Jesus as he would invite you to and and really sharing your heart, sharing your passion, compassion and what God has called you to. And you find a variety of ways. Well, you know, it's also interesting. Most of these people are Christian or have a Christian orientation. So when they know that we're doing this in the name of the Lord and and, and they're, they're blessed because of it and we're blessed because of it, it, it just it, it focuses at home to them. Mm-hmm. And even when I'm in Tanzania, which is highly Muslim, uh, at least it appears on the surface, there are a lot of Christians out in the bush, as they say, that really are longing for Jesus and... Uh, and, and they're happy to see us in, in, in that fashion. But it's just about loving people is what it boils down to. You know, you talk about the pilgrim. I, I think the trip you took us to Lithuania, mm-hmm. uh, we went on a mission as pilgrims and came away as a little bit as tourists. But, I mean, what we shared with those people was an unforgettable experience. It was. Amen to that. Well, thank you for this delightful conversation <laughs> about retirement and travel and all sorts of ways that God calls us into ministry. Yep. Thanks, Reverend Kathy. You're welcome.